As we continue in our series, The Journey, and we pick up where we left off last week, really talking about the Holy Spirit, let me pose a question to you as we begin this morning. Do you realize that the creator of this universe, God Almighty, who sits on his throne, wants to communicate to you? Let that sink in for a moment. Do you realize that he wants to communicate with you personally? And not only that, that he wants to commune with you. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would he want to do that? It's because he loves you. He loves you so much that not only did he send his son to to raise again from the day from the dead, as we looked at last week and the weeks prior, that God has given us such amazing evidence of the truths of the resurrection. He's given us such amazing evidence that the Bible is true and accurate. When you look at all the prophecies that were prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before about where Jesus would be born, when he'd be born, how he'd be born, the crucifixion, which wasn't even dreamt up yet, was prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before the resurrection was prophesied. It's, it's amazing when you look that God has communicated to us in such amazing ways and made his glory revealable, that we could discover it and that it makes sense logically to us so that we can have faith. But do you realize that God wants to speak to you on an individual basis? That he wants to speak to you personally, that he wants to commune with you all day long, every day? It just blows my mind that he loves you that much, that he loves me that much. That's what he wants to do. As we jump back into looking at how God communicates and how he uses the Holy Spirit to communicate, remember what we saw last week, and if you want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. That here we left the, those disciples, the very first church, it was 120 members, 120 people that had placed their faith in Jesus as the risen Messiah, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The 120 people got it. And Jesus revealed himself to them in many, many ways. Many, they were 100% convinced that Jesus came back from the dead. He, he walked on earth for 40 days, and they got to see him. They got to, to hear from him and talk. And you can imagine the enthusiasm. And as we saw last week in the first five verses of the book of Acts, Luke says in my first book, the, the Gospel of Luke, he's talking to Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to, to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he chose. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is what amazes me about God and his word, that he's, he's made things discoverable for us, that yes, we, we see creation and we can see that, you know what, there's got to be some greater being. There's no way that just happened by chance. I mean, the probability of that is absurd when you think about it, but you look at creation and the detail in creation that there's got to be a God and that God has written the word, the Bible, that it is a special revelation that what we understand about him, he has allowed us to be made known through the Bible that we, we understand him. And, and then he's given us all these convincing proofs in the Bible. As we've seen the, during Easter, all these proofs outside the Bible that just uses sheer logic to say that it had to happen that God made it discoverable. Then for 40 days, they got to see him. They got to see Jesus walking on earth. Verse 4 says, and, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise 
of the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And as we saw last week, that here's Jesus standing before them, right before he ascends up into heaven, and he tells them, hey, don't do anything, but wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit. It is so essential for us to wait on the Spirit, and and we'll see in a moment that there's certain aspects of the Spirit that, that we don't have to wait for that they did, but there are certain aspects of the Spirit that they knew they had that I would suggest most of us don't. And so here they are standing there, and Jesus had just given these words. And if you drop down to verse 9, the story continues. And when when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing to heaven, now imagine this scene for a second. Here they are, Jesus is talking to them, they're they're there just like any other time that he's teaching them, and all of a sudden he begins to disappear. So the Bible says they were gazing up. You know what that looks like? I mean, imagine the scene, you're watching him go back up into heaven, and you're going, my mind works pretty weird, and I hope yours doesn't as well, because if we had a bunch of people that thought like me, we'd be in trouble. When I read the Word of God, I always try to imagine what was going on. Here they are, they're, they're looking up into the heavens, and Jesus just disappeared. And if I'm standing there, I've got all sorts of things going through my mind, all sorts of questions of what just happened. Don't leave Jerusalem and wait. Wait, the, whole, the who? What am I supposed to do? For me, all sorts of questions would start to come in my mind, and all these things would start to unravel in my mind, and I'd begin wondering, I want you to see what God did next. Two men stood beside them in white robes, while they're standing there looking up to heaven. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. In the midst of their confusion, in their midst of their uncertainty, God communicated with them in just the way they needed at that time. Before their minds could go and start doubting again, God sent two angels to communicate to them, hey, don't keep looking up into heaven because he's coming back and there's work to do. And so these guys, you know, they, they go back and they spend time together. If you fast forward over to verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We looked at that verse a few weeks ago for evidence of the resurrection that even Jesus' brothers who were skeptics were now together. But did you notice what they did? What did they do? They prayed. Now I'd expect that their prayers probably weren't like our prayers during Sunday school, that they were probably a little bit different. If you remember, you know, as we've gone through this series, we've looked at spiritual disciplines all within the context of the gospel, all within the context of making God's glory known. I would expect that their prayers were a little bit more like that than ours typically are. And just as a reminder, remember that prayer is for us to get on God's agenda, not for us to try to manipulate God to get on ours. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we can't pray for healing. It doesn't mean we can't pray for certain things, but we need to change the perspective of our prayers that if I'm praying for somebody to be healed, I'm going to do it so God's glory can be made known. I'm going to do it in such a way and ask God to show up in such a way that no doctor can take credit for it, no person can take credit for it, that everybody knows that something special happened and that either myself or some other believer is able to be there to give the what else happened so that people would know that God just did something that no man can do. I'd imagine as they prayed, they were worshiping God. They were all of one accord. I'd imagine they're remembering the teachings of Jesus and they're worshiping together. They're worshiping through prayer. They're asking and waiting for 10 days. They didn't realize how many days it would be, but for 10 days they did this, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And guess what? When he came, there was no mistaking he came. The Word of God says a mighty rushing wind came. It would be like a tornado coming through. There was no mistaking that what was going on, that something was happening. And so here all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends upon these 120 people. And then we know what happened next. They were empowered and they turned. Ordinary men and women turned the world upside down on its ear, proclaiming that Jesus came back from the dead. I think it's important for us to distinguish the difference between what they had that we already have. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to indwell them and empower them. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 7, it says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, right, because they don't know Jesus, because they neither see him or they know him. They don't know Jesus. You know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. The moment that somebody says that I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one who paid for my sins, that he lived, he died, he buried, he rose again from the dead, and and commit to him as my Lord and Savior, the moment you do that, he dwells within you. We have all these verses talk about our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why. Romans 8, 16, that says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. The Holy Spirit is communicating with our spirit that you do have a relationship with him. Now, sometimes that means because he's guiding us into all truth. Maybe we've made a mistake and he's correcting us. Other times, he's, when we're having doubts, that he says, no, listen, you're mine. That's because he dwells with inside of us. But there's something that's far more important than simply the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And may I just say this? I would say that 98% of Christians in America today, and probably even sitting here this morning, have never truly experienced the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when I say that, it's like this nebulous blur that, what is that? What are you talking about? Talking about handling snakes and speaking in tongues? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God so empowering you to do his will to make his glory known in ways that you know that there was no way you could have done that. That he does things that no person could do. And here's the deal. When God works like that, he always does it one way and never the same way twice. I was talking to somebody after the service last week and they were sharing a time when the Holy Spirit did that in their life and they were trying, I've always tried to remember what I said. Well, I said, don't worry about that because God's not going to work that way again. That when we are so in tune and power to the Holy Spirit that God puts people in our paths and he tells us to say something to them that makes no sense to us at the time. But when we do, we find out that that's exactly what they are dealing with. That's the Holy Spirit working and empowering. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, but he empowers us. Now, as I said last week, the Holy Spirit always does what? Glorifies who? 
Jesus Christ, right? And then he does what? He illuminates the word. Those two always go hand in hand together, that when the Holy Spirit communicates to you, he's illuminating God's word and he's glorifying Jesus Christ. And so, as I said in the beginning of our time together, can you believe that God wants to communicate with you? How many of you would appreciate God communicating to you in a specific way this week? Nobody? Well, I can go to lunch early. Thanks. (laughs) Of course, all of us do. We all would like God to communicate to us. Let me give you a little secret. If you miss something, don't miss this. You ready? You want to know how he communicates to you? Right there. I would say 98 to 90% of what God has to say to you is right there. Don't expect the Holy Spirit to give you something new because the Holy Spirit will always use this and glorify Jesus Christ and the Father at the same time. He's not going to give you a new word. He's going to illuminate what God has already given. Now, within the pages of this aren't going to be the specifics on who to marry or what job to take or what school to go to, right? That's not going to be in here. And that's the one and a half to two percent of stuff that God will use this to guide your past in the righteousness sake. Now, as I said last week, It's much easier for the Holy Spirit to direct you as you're already moving. If you are immovable and you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to say something, guess what? He doesn't normally work that way. But as you are moving down paths of righteousness and as you're doing what God calls you to do, he then steers you and moves you. But God wants to communicate and he's going to use this to communicate. And so, if I may, let me just blow up. I like blowing things up some misunderstandings of how God communicates. I'm just going to pick three. There's probably a bunch of them, but these are probably the top three that people tend to think that God communicates. The first is this, the hunt and peck method. You may or may not have heard about this, but everything does, okay, uh, uh, whatever, I'm just going to open up my Bible, and wherever it lands, I'm just going to, whatever God says, hmm, Matthew 27, 5. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, And he went out and he hanged himself. Well, he couldn't be saying that, so let me try this again. Let me try to turn over a few pages, okay? Luke 13, 27. Actually, Luke 10, 37. You go and do likewise? No, 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 God can't be saying that. One more time. Now, this time, whatever it says, I'm going to do. So turn some more pages. John 13, 27. Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Probably not the best method of allowing God to speak to you. Is it his word? Of course it is. But taken out of context, it can be incredibly, incredibly dangerous to do that stuff. It is God's word. But God's not telling you to do that. It can be very dangerous. There's another one that is equally as dangerous. When God closes a door, he opens a window. You ever hear that one? Or the whole open door, closed door thing? If God doesn't want me to do it, he's going to shut the door. Have you ever thought about Jonah? So let's imagine Jonah. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he's going, all right, God, I'm going to go down here to the, to the shipyard, to the ship dock. And, hey, if you don't want me to leave, don't let there be a ticket. Woohoo, Jehovah Jireh, there's a ticket, I'm out of here. That's not God's plan, right? We know that's not his plan. And so to say that, hey, he's going to close this door if that's not his will, or he's going to open the door if it is, that's dangerous. How's God speak? Through his word. He confirms that by the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit 
leading us down paths of righteousness. As we are walking in obedience, he directs our paths. And then there's another one. You ever heard this? God gave me a peace. I just got a peace about it. Satan is a great deceiver. And he'll give you a peace. Consider Adam and Eve. They walked more intimately than anybody else. They got to walk with God in the garden every single day. And God told them what they could not do. I'd expect Eve probably had some level of peace before she partook. Just because there's peace, and this one does have, there is a level of truth in this, that God can give peace, but just because there's a peace doesn't mean that that's what you're supposed to do. In fact, some of the decisions that I've made that I knew God was telling me to make, there was no peace. It was fear and trepidation. I didn't want to do it. There wasn't this peace like, oh, okay, I can go now. No. You might say, well, Dave, what about when Paul says in Philippians, the peace that surpasses all understanding? Once again, we need to make sure we don't take the Word of God out of context because when you look at the context of that, the whole book of Philippians is talking about God giving a joy. It's a God-given joy in the midst of our circumstances so that there can be a peace that doesn't make any sense in the midst of circumstances that aren't so good because we're relying on God the Father to bless in the midst of that. It's not the peace that we would typically associate with peace in American culture. You know, and so we got to be careful when we give these things that God always affirms through his word. There's biblical principles that always line up with decisions that we're making. No, there's not going to be specifics on what job to take or where to do this or that. But when we are allowing God through the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word, he leads us into all truth. And he makes our decisions crystal clear. I've often said this, that when you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. And so many times in Christian circles, we get so overwhelmed with the details of what is God's will for my life. Hey, if I go to, if I go to Virginia Tech, but God's will is for me to go to JMU because that's where I'm going to meet my wife and I go to Virginia Tech, does that mean I'm going to marry the wrong woman? A little ridiculous. So if you went to Virginia Tech and you married a woman from there instead of JMU, you might need to come to the Marriage Enrichment Seminar next week. Just say it. How about that commercial in the middle of it? Here's the reality. This is God's will for you. Everything in that book is God's will for you. We've said... Actually, the Word of God says that the mission of the church is to multiply disciples with a life-transforming gospel, Jesus Christ. Guess what? That's my mission. That's your mission. That's everybody's mission who has a, is a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, I just read this week that any Christian who isn't doing that is an imposter, and they're not really a Christian at all. I'm like, whoo, that's a pretty big one. You don't have to be a pastor to fulfill that mission. You don't have to be a pastor to fulfill that mission because guess what? Pastors can't fulfill that mission without the whole church. And the whole church can't fulfill that mission without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
Do the will of God, and he will direct your paths down, the, down in righteousness as we are moving and we are obeying God in the obedience of his word, and we're asking the Spirit to illuminate our paths. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you what decisions to make. He'll tell you what job to take, who to marry. Where you would, He'll light your path. Let me get on a little soapbox here. I've been wound up all day, and I haven't even had that much coffee, but I'm about to get real wound up. I'm just going to warn you in advance, especially dealing with college students. Who am I supposed to marry? Now, let's just think about man's plan for finding a spouse. It is the dumbest thing that has ever been created. I'm just saying. Think about it. Dating. What's the criteria for dating? Hmm. Yep, you're attractive. Hey, you want to go to a movie? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, are you a Christian? Okay, okay, we can go now. Go to a movie? What do you want to go to a movie? How are you going to get to know somebody at a movie when you sit there in the dark and you're not even paying attention to each other? And then, and then think about it. Well, we had a good time. Well, you had a good time because the movie was good and the popcorn wasn't burnt. And then you go, hey, you want to go out again? Well, yeah, okay, that's good. Next thing you know, you're exclusive. What's the purpose of dating in the first place? To find a spouse, right? And so if you ain't ready to get married, what's, why date? It makes no sense. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Consider what dating prepares you for. Divorce. I hang out with somebody, I'm exclusive, they do something I don't like, see ya. I go over here, find somebody else, she's attractive, she's a believer, I don't like her, see ya. I finally get my act together and go, I've got it backwards. Okay, you got to be a Christian first and attractive second. Okay, you're a Christian, yep, okay, well, yep. Then we get in marriage. We're so used to being so selfish. Something happens in marriage and what do we do? See ya. Every 43 seconds in this country, a marriage ends in divorce. No wonder we're in the shape we are. And the statistics aren't any better in the church. You want to know God's will for your life? You be obedient to what the Word of God says. As you're obedient to what the Word of God says, He'll illuminate your paths. Let me give you my personal story. I went to college, came home, 26 years old. Feeling, leading Bible studies. Every one of my friends getting married. Not Dave. I'm thinking, what's the deal? I know God hasn't gifted me with the gift of signalist, and I'm thanking and praising God for that, but not married. Everybody's getting married. I come on staff with Athletes in Action, and uh, I'm thinking, well, great. God's moving me to California. I'm cool with that. He'll find me a California girl. At least the Beatles Tell a little bit about the California girls, right? So I'm thinking, okay, in the back of my mind, God's going to give me a California girl. I'm good. So I'm raising my support, trying to go out to, to California, and I'm just about finished raising my support, and I go out to Fort Collins, Colorado for staff training. I'm sitting in a class, minding my own business. Now, you have to understand, out here in these Campus Crusade staff trainings, it's like this Christian meat market. Everybody's dressed to kill because they're all trying to find their spouse. I was clueless. I'm, not, I'm just trying to get a good education. It's a Christian worldview class. I'm studying it. Guy's name is Paul Cox. Off to my left, I'm sitting kind of towards the back. Off to my left, somebody's dressed in a pair of Asics running shoes, Umbro soccer shorts, a T-shirt, and no makeup. And I'm going, hmm, pay attention. <laughs> I'm married to that girl now. 
wasn't looking. I didn't care. All I wanted to do is fulfill the word of God and his will. As I was doing that, God made his glory known. And giving me Carrie. And I'm telling you what. Without her, I'm not sitting here today. Without her, I'm not still in ministry today. Without her, I never get into ministry. God knew what he was doing. And you see, when I submitted myself to his will, when I was being obedient to his will, when I was doing what he was telling me to do, he called me to something else. I had my own business. I was planning on going to be a sports psychologist and work with professional athletes. It was the direction I was going. And God directed my path to athletes in action doing the same things with college and professional athletes that I would have done through sports psychology. And so I'm going and doing that. I actually got to compete for a while. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. And then God had something better. As I'm being obedient to him, he says, I got somebody for you, and she's going to complete you. And together we've been serving God for all these years. The way you find God's will, you be obedient to his word. As you're obedient to his word and you're obeying it, he will illuminate your path down paths of righteousness, and he will bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. Stop asking what God's will is and do it. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your paths as you read his word. If you're not daily reading his word, start. Let me tell you a good place to start. Turn right to the dead center of your Bible. You'll probably hit Psalms and go right just a little bit and you'll hit Proverbs. Proverbs come in one and two verse sets for the Proverbs and, and a as you read a chapter, there's multiple Proverbs, but I guarantee you this, you can't read a chapter of Proverbs and not have God hit you square between the eyes with what you're dealing with right now in life. You want your past to be illuminated, get in God's Word. You want to be illuminated a little bit more, say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this stuff, and only the way that you can help me to understand, lead me into all truth, as your Word of God says, lead me in the paths of righteousness so I can fulfill your mission, which is what? To make your glory known, not mine, but yours. Do stuff in me that nobody can take credit for. Ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of what you need to know is already right here. The other one to two percent will only be known as you walk by faith and obedience. As we come to our time of invitation, here's my final question to you. What is keeping you from taking the next step to hearing God communicate with you and to communing with God in the same level of intimacy that he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. For some of you, it might mean discovering some more information about this relationship with Jesus Christ that we're talking about. Maybe you're not yet convinced that he is who he said he was. And so I encourage you just to start searching for more information so that you can make that decision on your own. If you've already made that decision, you know, and, and some of this stuff we're talking about, man, that sounds awesome, but you haven't experienced anything of it. Maybe for you the next step is, maybe it's confession of sin. Maybe it's learning to yield to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's starting to walk in obedience. But one thing is for sure, 
staying still, staying stagnant, you're not going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He responds as you respond to God's word in obedience. And you submit to his will. So we come to this time of invitation. I ask you to ask yourself that question. Better yet, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the answer is. And then, you got to yield. Because if you don't, you'll never experience what he has for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making things so understandable to us. But God, we confess that we still don't get it. We confess that we still don't understand the Holy Spirit. But God, we want to. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that we don't even know. Lord, that your spirit has, you have already been testifying with our spirit, would continue to lead us into all truth. And God, that we would yield, even though we don't know exactly what that means, that we would be willing to lay down our own selfish desires and Lord, seek your desires. Seek you to make your glory known in our lives and through our lives so that we can testify to others about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.